So our reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, You can find that on page 288. And I'll be reading from verses 1 to 11 and then from verses 22 to 54. From verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socho and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze draveling was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do, you come up and, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are, you, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now from verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, They all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, 
your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the block, from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing, glowing in health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? that you come at me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come at me, you come against me, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver, me into your, deliver you into my hands, and I will, strike down, I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in the, his own tent. This is God's word. Brilliant. Thanks. On a massive, massive reading uh, this week. Um, I have a son, and when he was about four years old, um, he, he was looking at uh, his little children's Bible's cover, um, which is over here. Um, just have a look. So you've got various different characters. You've got Goliath. And you've got David down here. And my son looked at me and said, um, Daddy, doesn't he cut his head off? And I said, uh, 
yeah. He said, why are they smiling with each other? (laughs) And I thought, well, because severed heads on children's Bibles don't sell very well. Um, But I said, I don't know. I don't know. That's a little slice of parenting for you right there. Um, it's a massively famous story, right? David and Goliath. Maybe the most famous story in the whole Old Testament. You're probably familiar with it. Um, but also sometimes misrepresented, portrayed in certain ways. Um, so as we dive in, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for how it captures our imaginations. And thank you more than anything that it points us to the Messiah that we need, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to this story now, please teach us what you would have us see. Lift our eyes to you and to your salvation and to your King. Amen. Um, Okay, as we begin then, let me ask a question. Uh, (laughs) What frightens you? Uh, I don't mean like spiders or whatever. I mean... um, when you think about your life, when you think about your future, what threatens it most? What do you find threatening? I've been asking a lot of people that question this week and uh, lots of different answers. For some people, it's the, 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 the big scale external stuff. You know, we've just come out of two years of as a society being threatened by a virus, you know, having our, our freedom threatened, having our health threatened. Um, for some people, it's that big scale stuff. One person said it's the global situation, the idea that this war might escalate and might impact our lives more and more. For some people, it's that big scale stuff. For lots of people, it was a bit closer to home. And for some people, it's, a, it's another person that they find most threatening. Maybe a colleague at work, someone in your friendship circle. For, for, for lots of people, it was uncertainty of the future, the idea that my, my friendship circle might change in the years to come and I might be left kind of alone. For some people, it's even closer to home. One person I chatted to this week said that, he um, was really honest, said, look, I'm honestly, I'm not, I don't feel that threatened by many things outside of me, but fear of failing, terrified of that. He'd had a deep conversation with his dad when he was a young man about reaching your potential. And the fear of failing threatened, big threat to him. What is it for you? What do you find, what do you find threatening? Um, I, I, our passage tonight is, is definitely about threat. Um, it's not about, let me be very clear, it's not about how to vanquish all of our threats. It's not five steps for how to kill all your Goliaths. I don't think that's the point of this passage. Um, but it, it, it does encourage us to see our threats in light of a much bigger story a story in which the Messiah, the Saviour King, faces the greatest threat that his people, his people face and is victorious. Um, so just where are we? Um, over the last few weeks, we've been reading this book, 1 Samuel. Uh, God's people are looking uh, for a leader. Um, they chose Saul, who looked outwardly impressive on the surface, and it was a disaster. Um, God, who sees through the surface to the heart, has chosen David and anointed him. He's now the, the, the God-anointed ruler uh, over his people. And here's the kind of first thing that we see him doing. And what he does here, what God's anointed leader does for his people is a pattern. It's a picture. 
um, that stretches forward through the Bible. Let me just make it really clear. Back then, anointed ruler, David over Israel. Now, Jesus Christ over the church. Okay? So what we see David doing here is a picture of what Jesus Christ does for you and me. Facing our threat and defeating it for us. Three points we're going to see. Um, uh, people face a terrifying threat. They're on the service handout. People face a terrifying threat. The Messiah says, don't fear, I'll fight. And then thirdly, God triumphs through weakness. First thing then, first thing, first 11 verses, uh, God's people are facing a terrifying threat. If you check out verse one with me, notice that the, the Philistine army is gathered at Soko in Judah, right? This is an invading army. And they've set up the battle lines. Think of those soldiers in the steelworks in Maripol um, over the last few weeks before they, were, before they surrendered. Right, the battle lines are set up. Invading army is facing the massive threat. And I think there are three things that the, the author here wants us to see about this threat. Firstly, it's too strong. It, secondly, it threatens everything. And thirdly, it mocks Okay, so firstly, this threat is it's just too strong. Have a look at verse 5 with me. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze, weighing about 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, that just means it's massive. Um, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went, went ahead of him. See how detailed this description gets. Imagine for a moment this is the movie, okay? And uh, the camera starts looking at the ground and you see the, the ground maybe shaking as the steps walk forward. And the camera begins to pan up. And it pans up and 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 you just about get to his knees and then it goes up and up and up and he's covered in armour, bronze gleaming armour and, 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 uh, and his torso, his enormous torso um, uh, covered in chain mail and a huge helmet on his head and as the camera pans back he's probably beating his chest and roaring and he's over nine feet tall. Now look, technologically this armour, this is like an armoured tank, right? Impenetrable. And physically, he's nine foot tall. This is, this is too strong. That's the point. Look, I don't know if you've ever been physically threatened by something that's way bigger than you. But I remember a moment when I was about 15 years old, me and some mates snuck into a pub on a Saturday night, very excited, thinking we were being very grown up, until some local lads came into the pub and they weren't underage. And when they saw us, they wanted to batter us. And you might hear that and think, I can understand why. Um, but they made it very, very clear that was what was going to happen the moment we left the pub. And they were massive compared to us. Have you ever felt anything like that? Fear flooded my limbs. My heart was hitting the inside of my chest. This, this, this is a threat that is just too strong. Saul, who's like the biggest guy in the whole of Israel, do you remember we saw that last week, he was head and shoulders above us. Even Saul has no chance. It's too strong. This threat is too strong. 
Next, notice also it's, it's too strong. Next, secondly, it threatens everything. Just look at verse 9, what he shouts out. If uh, Saul's calling for a, a challenger, it says, If he's able to fight me and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. See what's on the line here? Future, your freedom is on the line. It's threatening everything. And verse 10, you see where he says, I defy the armies of Israel. That's the third thing. That word defy there, it's not strong enough. It's I mock. He mocks the armies of Israel. He's too strong. He threatens everything. He's mocking. And verse 11, Saul and everyone else is absolutely terrified. Like just imagine, it's hard, isn't it? But try and imagine being an Israelite in the army here. How would that feel? Every day, this threat, imminent threat hanging over you. Your future's on the line and it's just way too strong. You've got nothing. Nothing you can do to fight this threat off. It's a terrifying threat that they're facing. Now, look, I don't know what, what threats um, frighten you in your life, but I suppose Goliath here, I think he's meant to represent something deeper than the threats that we normally think about. The Bible would say that behind all those threats that you and I are thinking about, there is a greater threat to you and to me. It's facing each one of us. Could we have those words from the Bible up? Is it from um, 1 Corinthians 15? The final enemy is death. And the sting of death is sin. The Bible would say that is your greatest threat and mine, sin and death. Those two things wrapped up together in the Bible. Death first came into the world because of sin and it is sin that makes death terrifying as we'll face um, judgment from God, the possibility of eternity separated from him. Death and sin, that is the enemy that looms over each one of us like Goliath. Now, I want you to do something for me. We're just going to pause here for a second. Um, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of a time that you have encountered death. It's not easy, but I'd like you to try this. Maybe it was a relative. Maybe it was someone that you knew of. Maybe it was, a, I don't know, a pet. But think of a time where you encountered death. What was it like? How did it feel? It's horrible, isn't it? Let me tell you about the moment that, that, that I think of. It's about 12 years ago and um, I'm at home and I'm in a room with all of my family gathered around a bed and on that bed is my father and his skin's kind of pulled back on his face and his breathing's and I feel sick. <laughs> Um, because that's my dad, my mentor, my best friend, my guide. And any moment he's going to be gone and I'm not going to see his smile again. I'm not going to hear the sound of his voice. It's horrible. Now look, maybe you haven't had a moment like that yet. But you will. Because death threatens everything. It threatens every one of us. I give it statistic. Look, how many of us here in the room? What, 200? 
how many of us are going to face death? How many of us are going to die? 100%. It's not just that you're going to sit by beds like that and watch people that you love die. It's that one day you're going to be on one. You're going to be rasping for that last breath. Now think of it like this. Imagine that you're on a train being carried towards the station. And that station is the moment that you die. And every moment of your life, every conversation with friends, every laugh, we're being carried closer to that moment. Just take a breath with me. It's one breath closer. We don't like to think about this, do we? So we, we, we distract ourselves. We get out our phones and we scroll or play on the computer games or, or, or even chase our dreams or try and fall in love. We don't like thinking about this. But if you let yourself think about it, death does mock all of those things. It laughs at them. Because... All the likes that we've got or shares that we've got or gaming that we've done, it's going to look pretty pointless when we're dead. Many of the dreams that we chase are going to look pretty pointless when we're dead. Even our relationships, that's the best thing we've got, isn't it? But even our relationships end in separation when someone dies. It's too strong for us. It threatens everything. I would like to say, I don't think I could have loved my dad any more than I did. Death laughs at that. It's too strong. What can I do? Death casts a shadow over everything that we care about. It's the greatest threat that you and I face. Can I say, that is your Goliath. Sin and death. We do face a terrifying threat. Now look, if you're, if you're here this evening and you're just visiting, it's not always this heavy. <laughs> um, but I'm not actually sorry. I want to ask you, have you ever thought about that? Like what's your answer? What's your solution? What's your hope? But for those of us that are Christians, I think we, we need to think about this too. If we don't appreciate the threat, then we won't appreciate the solution. We actually rob ourselves of joy when we forget this. It's easy when you've been a Christian for a while to forget how big a deal this is. But we do face a terrifying threat, sin and death. That is the Goliath that laughs at you and me. We face a terrifying threat. Second point, second point. The Messiah says... Don't fear, I will fight. So there we are, we're back in the valley. Everyone is terrified. And then this happens. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, came from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Just skip forward to verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living 
God. Right? David at this point is so unimportant that he's not even in the army. He's just like a baggage kid. He's off with the baggage. And he runs forward. He hears this threat. He hears Goliath roar. And then the first time he speaks, this is the first time he speaks in the whole Bible, in verse 26. Do you notice what he cares about there? Have a look at verse 26. Who will remove this reproach from Israel, this disgrace from Israel? He cares about the people. He sees this threat mocking the people and the passion of his heart is kindled. He loves, he cares about the people. But notice more than that, he also cares about the Lord Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Everybody else, as they look at this situation, they're just looking at the surface. Do you remember last week we heard a bit about looking at the surface? When God tells us not to look at the surface, but to look deeper. Everybody else looks at Goliath and they see how massive he is and they're terrified. But David sees differently. He brings God into the picture. And that brings a whole new world into view. He looks at this threat in light of who God is. And that changes everything. Anyway, uh, uh, people hear that he's talking about potentially taking on Goliath. Word gets back to Saul. Um, uh, He's brought in front of Saul. And then check out with me down in verse 32. David said to Saul... Let no one lose heart on account of this uh, Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Let no one lose heart. Don't be afraid. Your servant will go and fight him. Don't be afraid. I'll fight him. Now, I (laughs) I think that would have seemed absolutely ridiculous. right? Remember, Saul is literally the biggest man in the country and David... Is, keep on being told, he's the youngest. He's small, right? So you've got the big, massive, most impressive guy in the country and the little small guy, and the little small guy says, don't be scared, I'll fight him. That must have seemed crazy. But that's David's courage. Don't be afraid, I will fight him. Saul tries to kind of convince him not to. Um, in verse 33, you're not able, it's not going to work. Um, but check out verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So he he looks back at the past, right? He, He remembers this time where his flock of sheep, when he was a shepherd, had been completely defenseless. And he sees now the people of God completely defenseless. And he remembers how he, the shepherd, stepped in. And now he remembers he's he's the anointed and is ready to step in. He remembers that there were these enemies that were physically just utterly beyond him. A, A lion and a bear, utterly beyond him physically. And he looks at Goliath and sees this enemy that is utterly beyond him physically. 
What is it that really gives him the confidence to do this? Verse 37, look down with me. The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. It's not that David had true grit. It's that he sees the true gods. One commentator put it this way. He said, um, he said let, me get it, let me get it right. He said, he did what his courage prompted him without consulting a committee of lion slayers or bear trappers. His whole art was faith. This was his science and his skill. He sees this threat in light of God's salvation and he steps forward. Don't be afraid. I will fight. Don't be afraid. I will fight. And do you see how different he is to Saul there? Right? Saul is looking at the surface Saul who represents human strength and power and he's scared off, he's got nothing. But the true Messiah, God's saviour, he looks at God, he looks at God's people and he steps in to face the enemy for them. I think it reminds me of, um, for me this is probably one of my favourite moments from a film in the last 15 years or so. Um, can Can we roll the clip? Now, the time has come for us to select one courageous young man and woman for the honor of representing District 12 in the 74th Annual Hunger Games. As usual, ladies first. Look, do you see that she sees what her sister is facing? Her little sister is facing this threat that is just way too big for her, that she has no chance. She sees what her sister is facing and she steps in to face it for her. You see that? And as she does that, you see how much she loves her. As she steps into the breach to face what her sister was facing, you see how much she loves her. Now, back here with David, this is a, an image of what the Messiah does. The Messiah sees what his people are facing and he steps in to face it for them. What's that got to do with you and me? Could we have the picture up, please? Jesus Christ saw that you and I were facing sin and death, that it was too strong for us. 
and he stepped in to face it for us. Don't be afraid, I'll fight. Do you see his love for you in that? I don't care if you've thought about that a million times or for the first time. Do you see his love for you in that? Don't be afraid. I will fight him. One commentator put it this way. He said, in his love for you and his zeal for God, we see him stepping into the arena that divides the two camps of good and evil, God and Satan, and they're facing the defiant adversary. He stands to contend in our name and on our behalf that he might decide the quarrel that could never be decided by us. Our Messiah says, don't fear. I'll fight. Do you see his love for you in that? Next point, final point. God triumphs through weakness. God triumphs through weakness. Uh, Saul, have a look at verse 38 with me. Saul then dressed David in his own tunic. He put a a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened uh, on his sword and the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. Again, I think this is kind of funny. David has just said to Saul, like two different ways, I'm not going to win this fight because of human strength. The only way I'm going to win this fight is because of God. And Saul's like, yeah, okay. Let's go get you some armour, shall we? Were you not listening? See, Saul still thinks that the only way David's going to win is by, by what's humanly powerful, what's humanly impressive. He doesn't get it. But the new king, and so we get this interesting moment where the old king is trying to dress the new king in his kingly armour, the armour that looks impressive and strong in the eyes of man. And the new king doesn't want it. He's not going to fight that way with the symbols of human strength. He doesn't even take a sword. If you look at verse 40, do you notice that? He took a staff in his hand. Now, I don't know if you noticed when we read, it's going to keep talking about the, like swords, whether you've got a sword or not got a sword. He doesn't even take a sword. Notice that. And Goliath can't believe it. Verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing in health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's response. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. By the way, that that, that is the first time in the Bible anyone has said, I come in the name of the Lord. No one has said that up to this point. This is a new thing that's going on. This is the first time we've had a God-anointed king over his people, the Messiah. And he says, I come in the name of the Lord. Not with symbols of human strength, I come in God's name to fight you. 
And notice what, 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 what he cares about in verse 46 and 47. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give your carcass, the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword, notice sword again, or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord and he'll give you into our hands. What does he care about? He wants everyone to know that God is real and that God doesn't win with the symbols of human strength. And so without a sword in his hand, he runs uh, to fight him. The, the fight's actually described really, really quickly in verse 48 and 49. We've had all this dialogue and then suddenly it's, it's just two verses that it's described in. But notice verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him without a sword. Why does he keep talking about swords? It wants us to know. It wants us to see God is triumphing here through human weakness. God is winning, is triumphing here through human weakness. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. I heard a podcast by a historian last week about crucifixion. He was saying the latest archaeological evidence. We, Sorry, thanks, Ben. That's better. Thank you. Um, we haven't practiced this. Um, the historian said the latest archaeological evidence suggests that when people were crucified, their legs were nailed to the sides of the cross to expose their groin. So that as they were being murdered, everyone could see their shame so that you would look as weak, as pathetic as possible in weakness. And yet it is through that moment that God's ultimate Messiah, Jesus Christ, triumphs. There's another really interesting detail with the sword here. I wonder if you noticed it um, in verse 51. So the, 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 the Messiah is kind of won through weakness. But then once, 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 once Goliath's down, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of whose sword? The Philistine sword and drew it from its uh, sheath. And uh, after he killed him, he cut off his head with his sword. So the Messiah who wins through weakness uses the weapon of the enemy to triumph over the enemy. And again, it's a similar idea of what we see at the cross. As Jesus Christ dies on the cross and rises again, he uses death to defeat the power of death. The cross was meant to be the death of the saviour, but it was the death of sin and hell. As one um, a theologian put it thousands of years ago, he, death, by dying, slew triumphs through weakness. He triumphs over death. Now, um, take, take ourselves back to the, 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 the being a member of the Israelite army. Try for a moment, try and imagine what it would feel like to be in that Israelite army, okay? And you've had this threat that's looming over you, um, that's threatening your whole future, that's too strong, there's nothing you can do after it. Day after day, it's mocking you for like 40 days. And then you see David's emerging, holding the head of the monster. Can you imagine the relief 
as the victory is given to you. Can you imagine the kind of joy bubbling up in people's hearts and the shouts bursting out of their lips? He's done it. We're free. We're liberated. He's triumphed. See, it's important for us with our saviour that we don't just see Jesus stepping in to face our enemy and dying on the cross. We need to see him also emerging victorious from the tomb, holding the head of the monster, sin and death. Sin is slain. The victory is won. Check out these words from, uh, from 1 Corinthians. This is the, what, what, what comes just before and after the bit that I showed before. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory over that, 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 that our overwhelming threat through the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that the sting of death is taken away? What does it mean that we triumph over death? Let me just take you back to that bedside again where I'm sitting next to my father and he's breathing his last few breaths. When he was at the point where he could barely speak, he could only say a few words, the thing that he kept saying over and over again, soon home, soon home. Of course, it still hurts that he dies and the separation is painful, but the sting is gone. Facing death in light of Christ's victory changes everything. Changes everything. Now, what does this mean um, to, for us today? What does this mean for us today? Look, just two, two brief things very quickly. Firstly, just rejoice. <laughs> Just rejoice. Um, I mean, many of us will be familiar with this. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard this our whole lives for some of us. But just for, can we just pause for a second and remember how good that is? The, the biggest threat to your life is already dealt with. That is amazing. We can't lose it. We can't screw it up. It doesn't depend on us reaching our potential. Do you remember how good that is if you're a Christian here this evening? Rejoice that this victory is already yours. The greatest threat to your life is already dealt with. Final thing, final thing I want to say is um, I think we want to see our life now in light of God's salvation. Specifically, see our threats now in light of God's salvation. I don't know if, if you're anything like me, the danger when I'm feeling uh, threatened or frightened about a particular threat in my life, the danger is that it, it, it dominates our view, right? That it, 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 we look at it and it just seems big to us. And that's what Goliath did with everyone, right? Everyone was looking at the surface. They saw how big Goliath was, how small David was. But David looked at Goliath in light of God's salvation. Just check out verse 37 one last time with me. The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the, this Philistine. David puts God in the picture and it changes everything. He sees this threat in light of God's salvation. Now look, God doesn't promise us 
I hope you know this, God doesn't promise us victory over all the things that threaten us in our lives. But, but, if God has already dealt with your biggest threat, that does change things, doesn't it? If the biggest threat to your life, God has already given you the victory over, the ultimate victory is secured. It's not a magic formula. The Bible takes quite seriously there are things in our lives that we find difficult, but it does change things, seeing it in light of that bigger story. I remember when uh, people reaffirmed their baptism vows a few, a few months ago, and uh, Louis stood up, and Louis was asked, um, Louis's here somewhere, I can't see him, he's here somewhere. Louis was asked, what, um, what's the best thing about being a Christian? And it stuck with me what Louis said. Louis said, I know my story has a happy ending. I know my story has a happy ending. Got to see the things that threaten us now in light of that bigger picture of God's salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you saw what we were facing. You saw sin and death that was too strong for us that we can't beat. And you stepped in to face it for us. And we thank you so much that we can now live in light of that victory. We can now live in light of all you've achieved for us and the certain hope of a future with you beyond death. Amen.